0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Okay, let's, uh, let's get some introductions. Uh, so, Juliana, you're first.
1: Hello, everybody. Uh, so, I'm Juliana. And I am the head of product development for the data platform stream in Camby. And uh, Camby, it's a sports book company. Uh, and I've been working with Camby since last summer. So it's going to be one year very soon. Uh, before this, I was working for True Color as a product manager. I am originally from Brazil and I moved to Sweden three years ago. And I'm also a founder of a company called uh, Billa, that is a nonprofit uh, company, and it's aiming to empower immigrant women here in Sweden that wants to join tech. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much all about me, I guess.
0: Love that, love that, Juliana. We've spoken about that before, and you do some amazing stuff in the background. Um, Ricardo.
2: Yes. Good, uh, thanks Chris. Uh, so yeah, my name is uh, Ricardo. I work as a product manager in Klarna. Uh, currently I'm based in, uh, in Sweden, working for Klarna. Klarna is a company that originally was uh, started as a payments company. We are still a payments company, but we are uh, way more than that as well. Uh, joining also into the shopping uh, ecosystem and other things. And here I'm working currently as a regional product manager for Spain and Italy uh before that i was working more in the core banking domain doing the integration of Klarna as a a bank as a direct participant into the european banking ecosystem and before this i used to work in shipstead which is a group that has both media houses and marketplaces in different places and i was working also in the payment uh, realm uh, also over there so i used to work in norway although i'm originally spanish but i've been around 10 years in scandinavia now and uh, yeah, currently in Sweden.
0: Perfect, perfect, Ricardo. Um,
3: OK, uh, Carl, please. Yes, thank you, Chris. Uh, so I'm Carl Felix. It's a Swedish double name. I, I usually go by CF. Uh, I work as head of product at Insurello. Uh, Insurello is a, I guess, yeah, we still call it a startup. We started uh, 2017. I joined Insurello, or I think it may have been 2016. I joined two years ago. Uh, At that point, we were 12 people. Now we're around 95. So grown pretty aggressively over the past two years. Um, I started out working as the only product person. We're now a product team of five or six. Um, Working yeah, uh, accountable for everything product related in the company. We help uh, people who've been uh, victims of personal accidents get uh, insurance compensation. Now, live in Sweden, France, and Denmark. So that's exciting. Before Inserello, I was a short while at Tink, working on their payments platform. Um, before that, uh, I actually had the same position as you, Ricardo, at Klarna. So that's funny. I mean, I'm not sure if we actually met at Klarna. Uh,
2: I believe that uh, when you left, uh, soon after I, I joined. Right. Uh,
3: yeah. So I was with Klarna for about three and a half years. Started out in their uh, credit risk department as an analyst. Um, and uh, then moved on to, to core payments, worked with the uh, payment methods in the client uh, checkout, and then uh, moved into the core banking domain as well, right when, when that domain was sort of started. Um, so I was over at Rick's Bank and, and Bank Jarrow and, and all these places setting up uh, direct participation for Clana. So that's great. Um, before that, I was uh, a short while uh, worked as a research scientist within biotechnology with um, renew, rene- renewable biofuels. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's me. Perfect. So we'll go with CF, yeah? Yeah.
0: Um, and then finally, yeah, appearing on my podcast for the second time, Anna, just introduce um, yourself.
4: Hi, guys. Yeah, very high expectations on me. <laughs> now, um, I'm Anna. I work as a senior product manager at isaddle uh, originally, I'm from Russia. I come from entrepreneurial background. I kind of built three and a half companies. They all died. So I did all sorts of mistakes and how not to build teams and what not to prioritize. Uh, six years ago, I moved to Sweden and I started to work with True Color actually. So we never worked with Juliana together yes. because we were different time. Uh, With Truecaller, I was working as a business development and stakeholder to product organizations, so I was growing uh, 10 different markets for them. Uh, And five years ago, I joined iZettle as the very first uh, uh, growth-focused product manager. I built the very first growth product team, spin-off this domain, which later became an area. Um, I led uh, a series of uh, different initiatives across organization and now I landed in a very interesting domain which called developer experience. Uh, That's where we serve very different type of customers, uh, which called partner or developer, which is very different from what the entire organization is focusing on, because the majority of our teams are focusing on merchants. So my team is basically owning this partners offering and uh, helping uh, partners around the globe to integrate with iZettle, or now we actually called Zettle um, from a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, helping them to solve for the needs of merchants by integrating with Zettel. And we're also part of PayPal for the last, uh, I think the acquisition happened like two and a half years ago. Mm. So we are part of PayPal's family as well.
0: Yeah, I I saw that, I think you call Zettel by PayPal now. Yeah.
4: Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm still getting used to it, you know. (laughs) I am too, I am too. Um, Okay. So uh, the usual format that we have on this podcast is I've asked all my guests to bring a topic or a statement or a question uh, around uh, today's topic is how to empower product teams to be more data driven. So if we ever feel like we're going a bit um, off what we're supposed to be talking about, I'll try and bring us, around, bring us back to that question. Yeah. So um, Juliana. You're going first, um, and Juliana's topic that she was uh, wanted to explore was um, supporting product teams with the right data infrastructure. So, Juliana, give us some context about kind of what you want to explore.
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, as I said, I am head of product for a data platform stream in Canby. That means that uh, most of my stakeholders are either developers, uh, since we are a platform team, And uh, we do lots of APIs and we develop a lot of technical product services and tools. Um, And we know that uh, putting data at the heart of the whole product development process, it's hard. And the challenges are not uh, what we might think they are. Uh, Though I think technology does have a role to play. It's more a means to an end. And I think process and culture are much more important than technology for reaching that end. Um, I think in Canby today, we are heavy users of uh, Looker and uh, Google Analytics uh, by the product teams. And I think we do have a good experience uh, on uh, democratizing data internally and to spread the skills as well. Uh, So every employee in Canby today has the right to access Looker and Google Analytics, and they can learn as much as as is desired or necessary to interact with the data. Because data for us like has a very critical role to play in the successful decision-making process that we have. So I just wanted to hear from you how do you feel it is in your companies today, uh, with the tools that you have and the processes you have in place? What kind of maturity do you think you are uh when it comes to the the data stack that you have and if and if that it is spread in the whole company or if the product people are actually like empowered to use these tools and explore as much as they can so that's where i want to (laughs) go
0: it's a brilliant first question juliana and thank you so much for that we've got a lot of nodding heads hopefully a lot of answers um so ricardo i've seen that smile before so let's go to you first (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes uh no, i fully agree and actually i was gonna mention later in the other point about the democratizing data and i think that that is actually one of the keys uh, i cannot be more aligned and yeah fortunately what i have seen for example in my current company which is Klarna, thankfully we have tools uh we have access to data and we have people that really know how to work with data and what i have seen i would say especially in the last year and a half two years Is that this democratization of data is is growing this uh, maturity of the tooling as well is is growing and uh we really empower i would say everyone in the organization to have access to data so everyone could have access to the dashboards if you want to look up into dashboards or different of course then you have levels of um how deep you can get in what uh, topics right some topics maybe are like restricted to, to certain uh, people for, for for different types of reasons, right? We work with payments, we work with personal data. So, of course, some things that uh, we don't ha- have access to, but the tooling and the access to data is all across the, the company, as far as I know, uh, to the point that not only me as a product manager, an, an analyst or an engineer, but also a customer service second line agent, for example, has access to certain uh, data that is valuable for them with the tooling that I use as well. And then that also simplifies the conversations between all of us because uh, we can all share tooling, share dashboards, share data in a way that uh, all of us are aware of. And uh, I think that that is uh, one very important point to, to make our companies uh, more data-driven and, and encouraging everyone to, to, to do so.
0: Perfect, perfect. Ricardo, if you could turn your camera off, yeah, because there's a bit of lag on the internet there and I think that'll solve it. Yeah. For sure. Um CF, yeah, what do you think about Juliana's
3: point? Um I I so strongly believe in that. Uh in the democratizing of the data, uh, making it available to everyone in the company. Um and if I were to speak for, for where we are now, I mean it, it takes a lot to get there. You should never under underestimate that. Um, we are still very much a startup. We we got our first data scientist on board, I think a year and a half ago, or or something like that, and um, started working with data pipelines and, and things like that. And it, we're not there yet, uh, but we're very much moving in the right direction. We, we recently gotten Count up money, a, a program that we started using for for getting dashboards and things like that live. Um, so that just that little step, or not so little, but that that step has done a lot, uh, and for Showing the entire company where we are in terms of our OKRs and and uh, how we're doing uh, just along the way that anyone can go there and, and have a look uh, makes such a difference. Uh, but we still have a way to go to get there, where uh, anyone can can open up um, um, tools like that too. What? To what where
0: is it that you're going, or kind of what are the next steps for you? Cf.
3: Um, next steps is, is getting uh, our our proper sort of. Data pipeline up and running. Uh, mm-hmm. It's up and running to, to some degree, getting those connections to databases, of course. But but then making making the rest of that data available so, and so that anyone can set up their own dash, dashboards for all types of data. That we, we have so many different data sources within the company, as I'm sure many companies have. Um, some of them are already connected to those tools, uh, but you need to get the entire way in, in order to make, get the full picture, so to speak. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, and Anna,
0: finally.
4: <laughs> um, well, when I think about the right data infrastructure, I actually, uh, I actually think about uh, this as a product. You know, where users, are the teams, or PMs at the teams, or engineers, or whomever is consuming data in order to take uh, right decisions, or course correct uh, their strategies and so on. So I'm thinking about them as users and I'm thinking about what are the barriers uh, on their journey towards uh, taking right decisions or towards using the data, consuming the data, consuming different insights. And uh, one barrier you of course guys all mention it's the democratization of data. Uh, that's when everyone can get access uh, to something what is already trackable and everyone can build dashboards because the tools like Amplitude or Looker uh, or GA are available very broadly and you don't need to have additional like layers of a- a- approval. Uh, but I also think about other barriers like how events are being collected, right? Because sometimes teams are building new things and uh, the events are still not there. Um, so how to m- enable those teams in order to give them the tooling to collect those events on the back end or on the, or on the front end in apps or web, um, how to make sure that those events are being stored in the right format, which would be uh, readable by anyone who might be working outside of this domain and not understanding the whole background or history, right? And in the end of the day, how to uh, make these events available to build those dashboards. Um, because I have been working with different teams across iZettle and all of them were in a different maturity level in terms of how they think about data and how they consume data. So depending where you are and what kind of domain, you might be starting from the zero ground, like with my current team, where you still need to do all of this uh, work, uh, where you track all the main milestones in the journey of your user, where you make sure you store it, where you make sure that you display it in a way that anyone can understand what you're talking about. And I also have been in the teams where they were on a high level maturity. It means they already uh, pass uh, and bypass this uh, milestone of having everything uh, trackable and detectable. You know, they're already on the next level when they like convert every initiative into hypothesis, run A-B tests, and then it's a different level of infrastructure needs. Uh, they need to have A-B testing tools. And if you want them to run this hypothesis-driven product development, those tools should be very easy to grab. You know, like you shouldn't start from the zero ground of integrating a new tool. So I guess this is the same as in product development. When you think about it, you need to identify who's your uh, power users in the organization and towards whom you're optimizing and maybe first fulfill the needs of those who are less mature and then fulfill the needs of those who are more mature, partner up with the teams who want to do A-B testing and so on in order maybe even to develop internal A/B testing tools uh, like we did at iZettle. Uh, I know Klarna also has uh, their own a B testing tool, for example. So like look where where the team is in, in what level of maturity and think whose needs you're trying to satisfy. And I guess this will help you to define your uh, right data infrastructure.
0: It's a brilliant point, Anna. It's a really brilliant point. Um Juliana, kind of what what what's kind of final thoughts on this point listening to Anna, CF, Ricardo?
1: Well, I think we have, we share the same struggles, right? Uh, I think as Anna mentioned, it's not only like companies that are in uh, different maturity levels, but teams uh, within a company are in different maturity levels as well. One of the challenges that I have is that my team right now uh, develops um, tools for these other product development teams and uh, each one of them like have a different need. Uh, They are in a different maturity level. Uh, some of them have like a uh, dedicated data scientist. Some of them uh, still still have like uh, very much data analysts doing like more ad hoc analysis and not going too uh, deep into uh, uh, machine learning, for example. So um, I think as animation is it's pretty much working with the uh, uh, tooling and the uh, processes. it's uh, it's exactly like you do when you're running a, a product and treating data as a product is actually something that uh, we try to do very much uh in Gambi and try to uh understand uh the personas and the different kind of needs of each of those users so i really loved uh, anna's point is really good and i think uh, yeah we are we are more or less in the same boat when it comes to to infrastructure and tooling that's what i could take from from all all this conversation
0: mm. Yeah, no, it's an interesting start, people. Um, Okay, so the second point we'd like to explore um, is from Ricardo. Um, And we're looking at uh, how can an organisation become more data-driven for decision-making? Yeah, so Ricardo, I suppose in the context of empowering product teams, um, where were you going with this? What what would you like to ask the panel?
2: Yeah, so... why i brought this point is because it came to my head this uh let's say statement that we can find nowadays many companies talking about which is uh, we want machine learning to improve our business uh, which is a very broad question and uh, what comes to my head sometimes is i'm sure that many companies are are there yet uh, that they could actually go directly to that goal however i'm also quite sure that many other companies are maybe not there yet however That is where they want to be. So I was thinking, how can a company accomplish that? Because as many things in life, to reach a goal, you need a plan. And you need to maybe elaborate step by step. And probably in different steps, you can take advantage of it uh, without having reached yet your end goal. So thinking in a company that maybe doesn't have data, I was wondering, okay, how can a company that they really want to start using data will not? how can they get there, right? And I think that, for example, we were already discussing about data democratization. I think that that is definitely one key. The thing also is what if a company doesn't have the data yet, right? And I think that that is actually where maybe some companies could start with with thinking, acknowledging their status in terms of uh, data collection in how they organize the data and, and then start the building from there. So how I I would see this is, A company needs to define, needs to start by collecting data, but not all the data is super useful. So you need to collect data, you need to understand what data you're collecting and organizing it in a way that it starts uh, making sense, right? That you can trust the data, that the data is clean, that the data is actually valuable, and it's not just uh, everything random uh, that then is very hard to, to get something out of it. And even companies that are in a stage where, okay, we already have data, We already have some kind of structured data. They can start already using it, I believe. Uh, Of course, you want to have the most beautiful dashboards and and eventually even uh, machine learning models or whatnot. But you can start by, okay, let's use more rudimentary tools to maybe just make queries. For what purpose? Maybe to just clarify some questions that we have and that maybe we can leverage our organized data at this point in time. And once the organization starts having people that has that approach, they can start presenting this data in a way that other people can see the value of it. And I think that visualization is a very powerful tool. So even if not the whole company is still with a buy-in and trusting, yes, let's put effort into data. By having people start erasing this type of arguments with data that they have been able to collect and analyze, then they can start growing it. And as they go and... In this forum, there are people that know way more than I do in terms of infrastructure and whatnot. But then they can start building their infrastructure, which uh, eventually can be helpful for, well, analyze insights. And then once you have some more insights and you're not just ad hoc pulling some data, you can even start maybe creating some type of reports for other parts of the organization to start understanding other dimension that maybe up to some point, it was not really uh, visible for them. And uh, from there, I think that organizations can start taking it from there to start elaborating then, okay, we have reports. What if we can have access real time to this type of data? Mm -hmm. Can we leverage dashboards? Can we start then democratizing these dashboards? And I think that each of these steps will help to the point that their company starts understanding how valuable it is because then when making decisions, uh, everyone has access to this data. Everyone can use this data. And. For example, when building products, even products can be phrased in a way that is, as it was just mentioned, actually, about hypotheses. right? Let's define a hypothesis. Let's uh, try to validate them. Let's uh, validate them, actually, and let's do A-B testing, experiments or whatnot. So I think that in order to to reach that end goal that could be eventually even having this business more based on machine learning models, there are several steps that can be met which could be seen as less of a moonshot, which could be also scurrying, overwhelming in companies that maybe don't have access to these tools or they don't have maybe still the knowledge together, and they can start leveraging data from, from an earlier stage. Um, yeah. That's how I understand.
0: Yeah, so you're thinking, uh, let's make sure we get the day-to-day decisions made properly using data rather than just introducing Looker to the company and making sure everyone can use Looker. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah exactly in a way exactly i mean the end goal you want to get there right but i mean if you think more of from a pragmatic way if if someone starts a company and there are four people doing it you cannot aim for everything from day one especially if they don't have maybe four experience into this realm so by starting step by step but doing things in a correct way that they can start leveraging data they will get to the end goal that eventually the democratization of data and that the whole company could eventually use uh, data-driven decisions. And also with data, I would like to highlight also the fact of not only maybe uh, quantitative data, but because we're talking about dashboards and also I tend to talk about that, but like qualitative data is extremely important as well. Listening to your consumers, talking to customer service, talking to your consumers, and then having this type of decision-making based on both qualitative and quantitative is what eventually can create uh, better products from my perspective. I don't know how how you, the rest of the panel, sees uh, this point. That Um,
4: was such a long question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Maybe more than a question probably was a question and elaboration from my point of view. Uh, Yeah, so straight to my point, how do you see evolving in data maturity in a company if a company has to go for the moonshot from the beginning or whether they can break it down in smaller pieces or steps? Do you want to take it on, Anna?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I understand what you're talking about, uh, but uh, that's the same. We need to prioritize, as for everything, right? We need to prioritize what is the most important and what is potentially the most impactful for us. And I would say it starts uh, from uh, actually deciding in terms of culture, like, are we Uh, a project-driven kind of company or we are outcome-driven. And if we say we are the outcome-driven team or company or department, doesn't matter on what level you're talking about it, right? Uh, then you need to set up all of your goals uh, which are following specific outcome. Uh, And if you want to achieve specific outcome, there is no other way. Like if you cannot measure things, uh, you cannot change them. So then you're starting to question uh, naturally, you're starting to question every initiative you're developing or every product change you're driving. Like, does it going to move the needle? Does it going to bring us closer to our north star? Does it going to create the the outcome which we desire? And if you ask all of these questions, then there's like no other way. Like, you need to measure. Um, you need to know where's your baseline. You, know, you need to know where you're heading. And it's not necessarily um like uh, tracking or measurement of every step in the user flow or uh what you were talking about uh, quantitative versus qualitative insights it's at least measuring your main goal um and then starts from there you're starting to go step by step and breaking it down and so on and so forth but as a step one like if you as a company optimizing or as a department you're optimizing towards uh, monthly active users or towards, uh, I don't know, increasing your total payments vo- volume, uh, you need to be able to measure it and you need to be able to say that the initiative X created impact Z, right? Um, so that's that's the first one. I guess uh, it all has to start from the holistic uh, goal of the entire company, uh, no matter in what shape it comes as OKR, KPI, or whatever structure you're using at the moment. And then, slowly but surely breaking it into uh higher level maturity uh yeah i guess i that was a sloppy <laughs> a bit no sloppy answer, no but...
0: no i spoke to uh i went one-on-one with uh, ian robbins and he was talking about some some similar things uh about what you've just been going on about there anna um juliana what's your thoughts
1: Well, I'm going to go to a slightly different direction because I really liked when Ricardo was talking about, for example, companies that want to invest uh, in machine learning, but they lack like the basics. Um, And I think when I talk about the basics here, it's about, it's all about finding meaning in the data before, right? And generating insights. So I read somewhere, I don't know uh, about the, the accuracy of the stats, but uh, data scientists today, they spend 80% of their time cleaning data rather than creating insights. So it's 80% of a data science uh, data scientist time actually cleaning data that might not bring any value. And uh, I think one of the reasons is that because uh, when we think about data-driven product development, uh, we want to log everything, we want to track everything. And Anna was saying like uh, before about like um, how to structure the events and the data that we log, right? Because it can be quite difficult, quite challenging to organize uh, the data that you track. And we do have the tendency to to think that every data is important. Then you build like a huge data lake. You put all your raw data there, unstructured data, without finding any meaning. And then you give this to a data scientist and say, you know, generate a model out of this. And uh, of course, uh, it's it's going to be very hard, uh, not only for a data team uh, to do this, but actually to build something that matters if the data that's coming in uh, into this lake or wherever we're calling these days, uh, to actually bring an important insight. Uh, so I think uh, to, if you're starting in the data-driven journey, it is really important that you actually starting cleaning up the data and making sense of the data that you're logging into your systems uh, before actually going there and starting cleaning everything and wanting to build a machine learning model. Um, so I think uh, I, I actually really liked about the the qualitative versus uh, quantitative data as well. And I think uh, data from interviews uh, and uh, me, for example, I work for a company that my main my main stakeholders are internal or employees. And uh, it's so much easier for me to actually reach to them and actually ask feedback uh, and uh, interview them. But this is actually the kind of data that we need to take, like more data-driven decisions as well. So we have, uh, uh, we look at, the, at at this data and I think it's a good point that uh, we need to store this and make sense of this feedback as well to to reach the product development uh, lifecycle. Yeah, I think it's uh, that's pretty much what I could say about this, but I think it's really nice to bring to bring this point that uh, not all data. It's it's important uh, to have and to analyze, right? We need to be very smart when it comes to this.
0: No, it's a brilliant point, Juliana. CF, what's your your thoughts?
3: Yeah, Super interesting discussion and um, I also like the perspective of sort of qualitative versus quantitative data and uh, I may be uh, uh, biased in the sense that I, I always believe that if you don't have the data, you can go out and find it, uh, and especially if, if you're, um, you know, if you're working with qualitative data, I, I believe you can almost always quantify it. Like qualitative data can be super helpful in, in product development and, and understanding your customer needs and, and things like that. Uh, I've personally been working very closely with operations in, in places where you know you, you, you often get requests coming in from customer service, perhaps on, on things that they feel that a lot of customers, uh, in quotation marks, are uh, asking for this, or a lot of customers ha- are having this problem. But once you start quantifying those different requests, you may see something else, where it, it, it may not be that that big issue where we felt like maybe that that one issue uh, was very loud or was screaming the loudest, perhaps a bunch of other things that we need to fix before that. Uh, from a qual- uh, Quantitative perspective, and therefore find the biggest bang for the buck there instead. Um, so yeah, feelings can be deceiving, um, and quality can be deceiving, or qualitative data can be deceiving in that sense. Uh, looks like you're you're muted
0: there, Chris. Sorry about that. So where where are kind of in Shirelo on um, at at the moment with regards to this?
3: um we uh, with, with regards to quali- quality over yeah. quantity
0: yeah as in like beginning this data driven process it was um yeah. obviously probably the youngest company out of everyone we've yeah. got here today yeah so For quite sure. an interesting point
3: um we were in in a place where we would set sort of data during goals but we couldn't always measure them uh, mm. in terms of making a query in the da- in a database so we would spend some time uh, not not too much and not too little, but but actually analyzing our process and, and actually speaking to people and 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 figuring out um, how long time and, and actually looking at people working as well to to understand how much time was spent on different tasks and see which of those made sense to automate. Uh, so we would make that analysis, look at okay, these are the biggest pr- sort of process steps that we need to tackle, um, and then we would uh, hypothesize around those and do product discovery and, and, and implement. Um, fixes for that and automate things. And they wouldn't necessarily be measurable right off the bat, but we could remake that analysis a few months down the line and look at, OK, where, where are we now? So it was both frustrating but also satisfying because it's kind of like you, you wouldn't see that effect right away, but you could see it down the line. And in, in, in other metrics, obviously, like how many claims we could handle uh, within a certain period of time. Things
0: like mm. that. Uh, Ricardo, final thoughts?
2: Yeah, um, that's super interesting to hear everyone. And so what I was thinking is what key takeaways we're talking here. I think that I've heard a couple of times about the Data is important, I would say, but not all data is relevant, right? That is what we're talking about, the quality of the data and what we want to get. So I think that that is one important thing to keep in mind, as well as the qualitative versus quantitative data, that this combination is important. And on this, my last thought was, Avoiding bias with even with data, which you could think, okay, numbers are numbers, right? But I was thinking, for example, in conversion rates, sometimes when you have a funnel and you have different teams working with data and doing their own analysis, it could also get biased towards your own realm, which could be maybe one piece of it, and you may be missing out the whole picture. And uh, so I would just like to add on on top of all this, that it's important to keep the holistic view uh, in order to avoid bias. Uh, even when we're talking about data that could be just numbers, uh, which could seem so so uh, reliable, but sometimes could be deceiving. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that, Ricardo. Um, okay, uh, CF. Uh, we're coming to you next. Um, your, your statement was um, talk about the trade off between team structure and tools and processes. Yeah. So give us some context about uh, what what you wanted to talk about.
3: Yeah, um, I guess the, the statement sort of is a bit of a giveaway of, about where we are as a company now as well uh, as a startup um, and how I, I can look back and just see how spoiled I was at, at Clona. Uh, I, well, I, I started off as an analyst there, worked a lot with, with data and, and data-driven decisions. Um, but once, you know, once that sort of big rework was, was done at Clona, we, they spent a lot of time on, on making sure you had cross-functional teams and, and things like that you, you'd have analysts in, in the teams that needed them and um, and data scientists in the teams that needed them where we are now at inrello is more like we, we don't necessarily have that um, uh, that have that possibility uh, we don't have the resources for it so it's more a matter of like the yeah the, the trade-off between having the tools and all the fancy things that uh, you know bigger companies have in, in like big data pipelines and and um, Uh, Great BI tools and things like that or versus having uh, a separate, you know, data science team that that handles all analytics requests or a a separate uh, and analyst team as well for that matter. Um, Or having, you know, data literate product managers that can do their own analytics. Um, You're Mm
0: -hmm. talking about the kind of siloed, the integrated uh, model. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Mm, Okay, yeah. Um and are we are we specifically talking about kind of the size of company in Shirelo is? Yeah we're talking about that um, size of company are we
3: talking in general? It doesn't what... I think it's more of a general thing because I, I actually encountered this when I was at Connor as well we we were around 800 people when I started in somewhere around 2000 when I when I left and, and I think just the, the the analytics department uh which was actually the credit risk department to start off with were around um 70 80 people maybe 100 people
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: at one point and, and that was sort of the analytics hub for the entire company before that big reorg was was made where you, you sort of get all the analytics resources out into the different teams mm-hmm. uh, so i'm not sure it has so much to do with just the uh, where Insorello is right now uh, okay. it can be for for other companies as well
0: okay um ricardo you're at clan now eh?
2: that is right and uh, yeah as as uh, you were saying, uh, uh, CF, uh, now we have this type of cross-functional teams uh, mm. uh, with all operating model in clona. And uh, I, I mean, it's, of course, very nice to have this type of model because then you have access to the different type of skill set within your your own team. So that I would say that, of course, is ideal. If you don't have the capacity I, I was putting my trying to put myself on on like okay in a smaller startup where you maybe don't have the access to all this tooling at the end is i think uh, also pragmatism in a way right you you need to be pragmatic uh, you, you cannot just maybe wait for uh when i say you i mean anyone right like we cannot only wait for 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 the analysts to to come and make magic um so i think that but actually, for example, the democratization of data that we mentioned before, that helps into potentially other people that are maybe not so data knowledgeable can start jumping into this realm until maybe better tools or better skill sets are in place. So my point of view is, let's work pragmatic, try to get like from the monthly active users. That is one metric that could be very easy to measure. Start from there, start learning evolving in a product manager together with engineers that you can have in your team kind of start making sense out of the data and then yeah as the company uh, evolves then also evolve the the data maturity and the and the model that works best for the organization i also think that like there's no uh, silver bullet so it's also a bit uh, hard to, to to say what is the the best uh, for everyone i don't think that there's only one solution to rule them all mm. anna
4: Yeah, um, thanks for this question, CF. Um, Actually, I can speak only from my experience and uh, based on my best practices with uh, so many teams I worked with at iZettle and other companies, sorry, Zettel, right, um, I can say that the best results we achieved or the best speed of results and outcomes we achieved, it's when analysts were like uh, full-time members of a team. Because what you want to achieve in the end is that when you come to, I don't know, refinement session uh, or to planning, and when you discuss specific uh, initiative, you want someone in the room to pitch in a better way of uh, achieving it or measuring success, or you know uh, proposing A, B test out of it, or proposing a way of how to de-risk this initiative, uh, or how to find insights supporting one way or another. And when you have an analyst who's fully embedded in the team, uh, this person, he or she, usually knows all the uh, customer journeys, all the underlying pain pains of uh, this domain, uh, knows, uh, knows it to the same level as any designer or engineer. So it's much simpler for this person to navigate this complexity and actually steer the entire team Uh, towards the right ways of working or towards uh, the right initiatives. So I see a lot of benefits of having such a person within the team. But of course, it's not always happening. And sometimes we need to operate in this sort of agency model um, Mm -hmm. when you as a team driving something, but you need to ask someone to jump in and help. um, And then this creates friction. That's one of those frictions uh, in the data consumption or be- being more data-driven, which I was mentioning before. So like the trade-off here is that if you want your teams to move faster, try to have at least half-time analysts there who knows and nurture this domain from a data perspective, helps the team to uh, get on rails of hypothesis-driven product development, propose uh, things actively, not just uh, reactively, Serving the team when team has a questions, so I think that's the best way. But we're not in the position of having it that every team, for example, now at uh, Zettle. So we need to adjust. And my main observation that in the absence of uh, skilled analyst or machine learning or whomever this domain requires, right, um, it's usually PM uh, who's taking this hat, right. So, um, but then it's the question, how many hats the PM can be wearing uh, at every given time? Because we need to be skilled on the business side. We need to understand the org structure. We need to be like uh, advocates of our users. We need to know this and this and like take the right decisions. And at the same time, we need to wear the hat of uh, analyst. So, that's where the main trade-offs uh, appears. So if your PMs are ready to take these hats uh, uh, together with everything else they're doing, sometimes they're playing like agile coaches and everything else, you know then then probably that's the right way to go. But uh, I would prefer to have uh, an analyst in every team.
0: Juliana.
1: Hey, uh, so I in my experience, I've have worked with uh, both scenarios where we had like a centralized analytics organization that was working as a kind of a consultant uh, to the other teams. And that doesn't scale up. It is it is hard to scale up when you're growing as a company to to still have the same setup, uh, especially because I think Anna was the one mentioning that thing. Having the analyst early In the product discovery phase is very difficult because you have like a thousand of discoveries going on at the same time and uh, it's difficult to have a data analyst there like uh, right in the beginning of the process and i think it's one of the most important parts right Uh, when you're testing your hypothesis and actually seeing if it's worth developing that product uh data analysts should be there data scientists were um so i've seen the other side of the story as well when when you a rework happens and then you have like a one analyst or more analysts for each of the teams uh, in the company and it works really well i think it's uh better in terms of uh, uh scaling up and having them like early involved in the discovery processes but i also feel that uh, whenever those things happen uh, there is a risk of losing kind of the discipline work uh, when you decentralize too much uh the analytics teams uh, so what I what I've seen in True Color, for example, that was really good is that they came up with a uh, virtual teams. So even though they were sitting in a uh, product development teams, the data analysts, they had kind of a, a virtual team where they would gather and discuss and have like uh, even daily standups because it's healthy to have like people working with data within other teams as well. So you don't get in the silo, right? And and uh, um, you don't get too focused on that and, and you forget about everything else that uh, it, it is really important for data to, to be aware of uh, everything that's happening on the other teams as well. So I think it is important to decentralize, but uh, not forgetting that uh, maybe maybe not a virtual team, but at least have some disciplined work that can get those people together so they can uh, think about uh, the data in general within the company.
0: It's a brilliant point that, Juliana. Um, CF, what's kind of your final thoughts on this?
3: Um, It was uh, very much like uh, in line with with what I believe as well, like having dedicated analysts is very powerful for product teams in order order to sort of do that discovery and and make data driven decisions. So I think great points from everyone. Perfect.
0: Um, Right, final question Um, and it's from Anna yeah um and and i was talking about here about um in fact this is probably best coming from anna actually because it is a it's an anna comment this yeah if you don't mind me saying it so do you, do you want to say what you were thinking with your question
4: yeah absolutely i was a long time thinking what i want to discuss with you guys and i i landed on this one so i i have a feeling that uh, all of us uh, during the product development process uh, had a situation when your intuition actually was going against the data you see. So share your stories like uh, what kind of situation happened and why data were leading you towards wrong direction and why and how you or your team uncovered the truth and uh, corrected the course or maybe how you didn't listen to your intuition and you listened to the data and that led to the uh, disaster or less uh, acceptable results. Um, so I just, I just want to hear if it happened and how is your intuition actually guiding you through the data.
0: Anna, I'm going to jump in. Yeah, what's absolutely. your example? What's your your example, Anna?
4: Oh, okay. So we started <laughs> from there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So basically, uh, one of the Early teams, which I built at Izettle, was the team which uh, was owning the registration and onboarding experience, and we as a team we were doing a lot of optimizations in order to help our fresh users uh, to get the value from the product as early as possible and experience this aha moment, you know, uh, and that this exactly this kind of situation, which uh, Ricardo. Uh, was referring to when he said like uh, you need to look at the holistic perspective in in order to make sure that when you move specific conversion uh, you're not harming, I guess Ricardo, that's what you say, you're not harming the other metrics. Um, So but that this was this kind of situation when we were actually following the holistic perspective and we were trying Uh, different concepts because the onboarding experience in the fintech company is quite complex. Uh, There are so many steps and touch points with users. So we were trying to optimize this micro conversions and we were trying new concepts uh, which coming sometimes from within the company or it could be even external solutions uh, which we were hiring to solve for specific steps. And uh, that was the case when we launched one of the new concepts for one of the steps uh, on one of the markets. And uh, we launched it as an A-B test. uh, And we calculated that uh, in order to achieve a specific level of significance in the results, uh, we need to run it for two months. Uh, However, after the one month, uh, we saw that in the overall conversions at the market, we see a significant increase. Uh, And the timeline of this increase was correlating with the launch of this A-B test. And our stakeholders who were actively involved in our product uh, development process, they of course were like pushing hard in order to take this new concept and roll it out for 100% of the market and then adopt to other markets. However, my intuition was saying, well, uh, that's not the case. I cannot I cannot trust it. Like something doesn't, doesn't look right. Uh, and uh, I need to follow the significance in this A-B test. I cannot take this decision so early. So me and my team, we kind of pushed back uh, to get us one more month to complete the test. And uh, when the test results ca- came in, uh, we actually saw that this new concept is underperforming. Despite from the uh, increase of the overall conversions on the market. And we were like, how come, you know? Uh, so the intuition was right in this case, and the intuition was going a little bit against the data. Uh, so we started to look deeper and we realized that the increase in the overall market conversion was attributed uh, to the change in our acquisition strategy. Uh, That wasn't because of new concept, but uh, the data or the dashboard we were following uh, was easily fooling us on this uh, case. So if we wouldn't complete an A-B test, if we wouldn't push back and we took this decision uh, of rolling it 100 percent and then rolling it to uh, 11 other markets, we probably would harm users. We wouldn't bring value. We would make things worse for them, despite from, you know, uh, our motivation about this new concept and our enthusiasm uh, about how it looks and performs uh, visually, you know. So uh, that's that's the case from my uh, practice, a, I would say.
0: Yes, that's a brilliant
4: I one. I want to hear out. yours. You know?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Ricardo, let's go to you first.
2: Okay. Um, I was thinking which one to, to, to showcase. And given what we've been discussing, I think talk to one that actually combines a bit of qualitative and quantitative data, since that was interesting before when we were mentioning. And so uh, as, uh, as I was saying, like onboarding in the, in financial services, sometimes could be quite, uh, complex or cumbersome, depending on the country regulations and whatnot. And the example that I'm going to talk about is an onboarding for new customers in a market that when we launched, then of course we had to refine it. And in order to refine it properly, we had. Uh, so we had a lot of dashboards, uh, both for each step, but also from the holistic point of view, which as uh, so we have discussed, as Anna you, you also just said, I mean, that is super important. So great news, given these dashboards, given the data, we could start evolving, we could start improving our conversion rate. We were accepting people in the right ways and whatnot. And then one particular step, which <clears throat> is a point where consumer might need to take a, a picture of, a, of an ID. So there. I mean that you can also expect that okay yeah it's a friction point it's normal that people can drop out and so it happened the thing is that we were having some hypothesis what this could be we ran some some surveys we we also interview customers we learn more we started evolving it and things were looking good and then at one point it looked quite uh okay it was accepted the drops that we're having however it was still a bit Unexpected in a way where we dug deeper and we could find out that also when people were actually taking the pictures were dropping out more than expected. And at that point, we're checking our Dutch person. We're like, okay, maybe we're not accepting uh, enough types of IDs that are needed in this country, or maybe the pictures are more blurred than we expect and that's why they're falling out. And so we had different hypotheses. And at this point with the data, we just we knew that at that point something was going on, but we didn't really know. And there is where the qualitative data came into place. And thanks to working together with customer service and then running focus groups and uh, analyzing what was going on, we start seeing a pattern uh, after digging into the data plus talking to people that, okay, some devices with a particular Android version were actually uh, failing. And we were like, but why is this happening? And then after doing surveys, after collaborating with customer service to get more insights, we heard that, okay, when we take a picture, it's it's weird. We're having issues taking a picture. And we're like, okay, what is going on? I mean, that is the camera of of the phone on these people. And after digging deeper, we found what was the device that was actually common across consumers, which was a new device that The SDK that we were using from one of our partners to to take the pictures had a small bug that was actually increasing the zoom of of the camera to the maximum, making basically impossible to take a picture of, of a whole ID. And so they have to basically, if they wanted to take a picture, you have to put it on the floor and then take the picture, right? So obviously it was impossible. And all that was thanks to both the combination of quantitative data and then Dig deeper with qualitative data that we could find out this bug and then eventually report it and and got it fixed and and then things went fine. That sounds like some serious detective work. <laughs> no, that was a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. Lot of fun.
0: Um, Juliana.
1: Well, I'm here thinking if I have any like tangible example to share uh, because it is uh, a bit, uh, I would say far for me, uh, at least the, the products I am working right now. They are pretty much internal products as I mentioned, uh, so I don't know if I have like a good example to share, but I do have an example uh, of the past when I was working in. Um, um, kind of uh, making better advertising. Uh, I was working in an ads uh, project uh, within true color, and we had uh, we wanted to create segments. Uh, based on the, your gender and based on your profile information. And we were studying a better way uh, to do this so using machine learning. And, and then we came up with a, an MVP. Uh, we ran some AB tests and the AB tests was bringing some shady results. Uh, we, we chose some regions within India uh, that is one of their big markets and uh ab tests were showing like really promising depending on the region of uh, of uh india that you were uh, choosing and then when we we were rolling out um then after the ab testing the results were quite not not so promising as we thought so we did more or less as uh ricardo said we used a lot of uh uh, qualitative data. We interviewed some of the users and understood that uh, the quantitative data was actually not not bringing lots of light uh, to what we wanted. Luckily, we could take this uh, very early on the process, and I think that's the most important thing, right? When your when your data is leading you to the wrong direction, is actually to capture this and not uh, invest more time and and money and uh, uh, your team developing something that. Uh, won't bring uh, the results that you want. So we we captured this very early in the process, and we could shut down uh, the algorithm that uh, that we did. Yeah, but that's I think one one of the examples that we face uh, sometimes. The intuition and especially uh, talking to the users and understand what they really want is uh, is the best way to go. It's it's just you just need to to understand when when is the best time to do this.
3: Perfect. See ya finishes off yeah i have a funny one uh it it was sort of where uh where the data went wrong and intuition sort of succeeded uh i think it was at one point we had a bump in our our cpa and it it was about the same time where we did some sort of external assessment of our product i think it was a marketing uh, sort of bureau who, who possibly wanted to sell us stuff um and uh, they had a look at sort of our our site and our product, and and, uh, they sort of came to the conclusion that our our site speed uh, was identified as having uh, decreased, and that was hurting our conversion, and uh, that was the reason for our increased CPA. So uh, that was a site that we had developed by a third party um, external company, and uh, we sort of started looking into SLAs and the contracts and whatnot, we had a certain site speed that was promised from uh, from those developers. and uh, funny enough, it, it turned out that you know uh, Google had changed uh, the way they rank sites in, in terms of site speed, um, and uh, our ads were actually exhausted on Facebook. So there was nothing there. That, you know, site speed hasn't hadn't necessarily changed. It was more the measurement that had changed. Uh, so I thought, yeah, you know, funny situation where where you think the data is telling the truth, but uh, it was actually a different way of measuring that data.
0: Okay, brilliant. Uh, Thank you for sharing your war stories there. Uh, Massively appreciated. Um, We will finish the recording, but thank you so much for joining me today.